what you get is this like kind of beautiful bright orange carrot beer. I'm, I've always been surprised over the years how much people actually appreciate it too. It's not just a gimmick, it's a really flavorful beer. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and thank you to those of you tuning in to catch us live on Twitter and YouTube, as some of you can see on the video, working from a temporary new location for the next couple episodes. But for those of you listening in podcast form, thank you for checking out this conversation as well. And this week, we're bringing the hops to the forefront here at Props and Hops with LA Beer Week on tap in my neck of the woods. I'm honored to have on the co-owner of the brewery hosting the LA Beer Week kickoff event, Kevin Osborne of Celador Ales in North Hills, California. Kevin, welcome to Props and Hops. Hey, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on. And I'd love to start with probably the least original question in all of podcasting, but so that we can get a bit of a feel for where you've come from and how that sets the stage for where you are today. Could you tell us a bit about your background in beer, maybe starting with how you got interested in the first place and how that led to founding a brewery? Yeah, no worries. Um, I grew up in Orange County in Southern California. And when I like in my early 20s, my friends and I would go down to San Diego and we'd go to breweries, kind of like get taxis is like pre-Uber. So get taxis around the breweries. Um, yeah, I had a roommate and he was like, hey, you want to try home brewing with me? And I was like, sure, why not? And like instantly I kind of fell like deeply in love with it and he didn't like it that much. So I ended up doing it mostly by myself and like almost right away, I was like, I think I want to start a brewery one day and then kind of started doing only sours. And then I got a set, I was working at a place making audiobooks, and I got a second job working at golden road, like on their packaging line, to like get a little experience. And I worked at stone in San Diego for a little bit and then started like planning Celador and in the planning stages, we, I submitted to the brewery in, our, in Anaheim's beer competition, I ended up like winning that competition. And I made a beer with them um, called Batch 1731. It was like a Brett dry hopped wild ale. And then like almost right after that came out, we found our location for Celador. And that was like almost seven years ago. Jeez, when it comes to, you know, that long and winding journey leading up to Celador, really, it sounds like figuring things out in a self-sufficient way. How did that ultimately lead you to the concept behind Celador? And for some listeners who might not be too familiar with the brewery at this stage, how would you describe that concept? Yeah, we're like 100% barrel fermented, mixed culture, wild ales, sour beer brewery. Um, When we were like starting to plan this, the rare barrel had just opened in Oakland, which has a really similar concept. Um, not Oakland, but they're close to there. And yeah, uh, Berkeley, close enough. Berkeley, yeah, Berkeley. Um, and I really liked the simplicity of their thing, which was that they had no brew house, and they would get wort from other breweries around town, and just like have barrels and fermentation and packaging there, um, and. 
you know, from like a business perspective, it save a lot, saves a lot of money just to not have a brew house, which can be like a couple hundred thousand dollars in space. Um, and so I got excited about that. And there's some friends of mine doing something similar called Casa Agria Wild Ales around that time too. And um, where are those guys located? Oxnard, in Southern California. In Oxnard, yeah. yeah exactly. On the way up to Ventura for, uh, for those of us in LA. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it kind of fit in with what my ideas were around the brewery. And um, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, and it's great to know that Rare Barrel and Casa Agria will both be pouring at your event Friends Fest taking place this Saturday. We'll get into that in a moment. And knowing and thinking so highly of those two breweries um, says a lot to me about what you're doing at Celador, taking a similar approach. One thing I wanted to touch on to dig in a bit deeper to your concept on the website, there's a really cool write-up on the ingredients that you use. And it talks about fruit going from farm to barrel, if you will. And then also getting into yeast and bacteria and even some foraged ingredients. And that might sound a little bit strange or esoteric to people who aren't really into the approach that you're taking. But could you explain your point of view on that process, on those ingredients, and how it ultimately brings out the best of what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wrote that a long time ago. I haven't read it in a while. <laughs> I should read it again. But I think yeah, our generally the concept is the concept is is correct still. Um, I really like things that are very traditional and very like true to themselves and very authentic. Um, and for me, like farms, like organic farms is like kind of one of the best examples of that. Uh, before we even started, we started a relationship with a farm called Masamoto Family Farms, which is like, we make a lot of beers with their fruits every year. And it's just a place that's ran by someone who deeply cares about what they're doing and the quality of their product. Um, I think a lot of restaurants have that mindset also. And so we wanted to bring that into the beer world a little bit and just kind of like find the highest quality fruit that we could find and work with really great raw ingredients. Um, and because our beers kind of have a rustic nature, um, yeah, like you said, the, the yeast is, is some of it is wild caught, like, from fruit skins and from the air. Um, and sometimes we use ingredients that are wild in nature, foraged, um, just kind of around LA. There's actually a lot of little spots around LA where you can find that kind of stuff, hills and mountains. Yeah, and when it comes to all those ingredients, I, I know at a certain point it's almost becoming, you know, part agriculture expert. Uh, you know, some of the beer world can be part chemist and scientist. But for those of us who just like to sit back and enjoy the incredible beer that breweries like Celador crank out, LA Beer Week is going to present a great opportunity to do so. The official dates, if I have it down correctly, would be June 18th through the 26th. So a little bit more than a week, a couple bonus days tacked on to the back yeah, end there. two weekends, but, yeah. Yes, exactly. A good move to get two weekends included. And looking at the front end, kicking it off the first weekend, you and Celador are hosting Friends Fest this Saturday, June 18th. And I'd love it if you could give us a bit of a history on Friends Fest, because as I understand it, it's not the first time this is happening. It's the first time it's happening in this context, but it's had a life of its own in years past as well. Yeah, this will be our third year doing this festival. In the past, we've called it Sour Friends Fest. The first two years, it was only sour beers. And this year, we decided to expand it a little bit, partly because during LA Beer Week, the first Saturday, usually there's a big kickoff festival with all of the breweries in LA. 
And because of COVID and other reasons, they decided not to do that this year. So this is not a replacement for that necessarily, but um, it, it's sort of is filling that gap. It's on that day. Um, and so we've invited our favorite brewers from all of California, um, about 25 of them and a couple wineries and a couple cideries also to pour some beers. It'll be a lot of sour beers, like probably at least half sour beers and then a lot of lagers and IPAs and just like the best, what we think are the best beers from the best breweries in California. When it comes to the different styles involved this time around and a lot of the breweries participating, is there anything that really stands out or anything you can share when it comes to something people can look forward to considering the brewery list that's in store and and perhaps any special prizes that uh, people might have in in store on Saturday, I guess, special surprises, um, VIP or, or perhaps even general admission. Yeah. Um, there will be all sorts of fun beers. Definitely like a focus, like I said, on barrel-aged sour beers. Um, but on top of that, we were asking people to bring mostly easy drinking stuff. But like the, my two favorite styles outside of sours are like lagers and pilsners and like West Coast IPAs. So I think you'll see a lot of those high quality beers from around. Um, and if you come to the VIP hour and probably a little bit in the beginning out for normal the normal general entrance. We have a special little area for Woodshop. So Woodshop is an event that a friend of ours puts on every once or twice a year. It's like this really kind of curated small group of people who are like extremely into craft beer. And so he's going to be doing some fun stuff. There might be a little food tasting option and we're going to have some fresh peaches from the Masamoto family farm that'll be available to everyone who attends a bunch. We got a bunch of cases of peaches and we'll be pouring a bunch of really special peach beers in that area also. Um, so that'll be a really great part of it. All right. There's, there's a nice uh, exclusive perhaps right there. I've already purchased my VIP ticket in the spirit of full transparency and I've enjoyed a lot <laughs> nice. of Masumoto peaches in beer before but getting able to actually just taste you know the fruit itself will be a real treat and one other aspect you touched on when walking down you know kind of the rundown for this event natural wine among the beverages that'll be pouring and i'm wondering natural wine seems to be really taking off right now and i know that with you know sour beer that's maybe a little bit of a nebulous concept to a lot of people it can mean different things to a lot of different beer drinkers so when it comes to, yeah. you know, Celador making so much great sour beer and also bringing natural wine into this event, is there anything you could describe perhaps to compare and contrast the worlds of natural wine and sour beer? Yeah, there are definitely a lot of similarities. Maybe the most common one is sort of like a more wild fermentation and a little bit of tartness and a drier, like no, no sweetness really in sour beers or natural wines. Um, and, and both of them from a, production perspective are kind of like the wild west like normal beers and normal wines have these like very particular processes that they go through to make their products and pretty much every sour brewery has a little bit of a unique process kind of does their own thing and i think that's true also of natural wines um they're longer tend to take well sour beers take longer to make natural wines i think actually typically are quicker to make than than regular wines um but i'm super pumped that we're going to have some wineries there there's i'm i love natural wines and orange wines and um should be fun 
and it's not just going to be beer and natural wine, but also some local food vendors, uh, anything along those lines when it comes to the food on site that people can plan on seeing on Saturday as well. Yeah, we're still kind of locking in a couple of the options, but we'll definitely have a truck called Birria San Marcos, which is a local kind of valley spot that makes really good birria tacos. They make beef birria tacos. Awesome. Okay. Well, if that's, uh, it sounds like that probably won't be the only option, but even if it was yeah. uh, a lot of good pairings to be had uh, with those tacos and some of the beer that will be handy. So I want to make sure to just get into logistics a little bit for people who aren't too familiar with the event yet and might be in the LA area considering attending um, as far as pricing goes and tickets can be purchased at friendsfest2022.eventbrite.com. I'll make sure there's a link to that in these show notes. General admission, $55, gets you in the door from 1 to 5 p.m., includes a taster glass, unlimited pours. And for those who really want to maximize the experience, VIP, $85, gets you in an hour early. So you're looking at 12 noon to 5 p.m. And also that experience you touched on, curated by Chris Caroga of Woodshop Beer. And I actually uh, had a good conversation with uh, a really well-known Southern California beer industry pro, Danny Fulpint, reviewing the year-end beer uh, late in 2021, episode 102 in these archives. And that was shortly after I had met Danny in person at the most recent edition of Woodshop. All nice. I can say is if if you really do like good beer, I mean, Chris curates it probably about as well as anybody. So if you can afford to spend 30 extra bucks to get that experience, I don't think anybody's going to be regretting it. Yeah, one of the things I think he's planning during that hour is a blind hop showdown. I think it'll be six IPAs. Yes. He, he kind of does this at all his wood shops, but he's, I think he's going to do that on this Saturday too. That sounds awesome. To, I'm getting to a point as a beer drinker where I remember at the most recent wood shop held at the Hermosillo in Highland Park, I think that was this past December, there was a blind lager showdown. And it was really cool because I think Highland Park had one of their better lagers on. Um, and there were two others. And the one that got the most votes was from the least known brewery out of all of them. So it's great to eliminate that bias of knowing, okay, this is from a Highland Park. It's probably going to be excellent. Um, yeah. Just tasting the beer. All three of them were very good, but it's cool to see that once you strip off the name and people aren't judging a book by its cover to see how that might shape the perception. And I'm excited about the notion of uh, a blind hop tasting because I am in love with Citra when it comes to anything hoppy. Mm. And I think I need to try to push myself to just start experimenting for a bit on hoppy beers, IPAs, pale ales, you know, whatever, without yeah. Citra in it, just to, you know, see what else is out there. There are new hops. I'm hearing a lot of good things about a new hop called Vista that has maybe oh, some nice. similar, you know, tropical citrusy characteristics. But for people who do like to nerd out on beer, um, you know, there, there's so much more to it than just what we hear about all the time. And I think that kind of experience that uh, Chris is putting together will be a perfect example of that during the VIP hour. Yeah, it's great. I totally agree. It's fun to take out the, you know, preconceived notions of what you think is a good beer. I had I've had that experience at Woodshop, too, or like the beer you never heard of was the best thing you had. I've also had the opposite. I remember one year in a blind I think it was a hazy IPA showdown. It was like monkish. It was like, it was 10 times better than anything else that was there. Their IPA was just amazing. I think they're, I'm not, they're pouring at the festival this weekend. I'm not sure what they're bringing, but glad to have them there too. All right. Well, yeah, if it's uh, monkish and then good luck to everybody else, if it's a hazy IPA competition. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's definitely probably going to be one of the longer lines at the festival. So I'll look to take advantage during that VIP hour. 
And before we uh, move on from Friends Fest on Saturday, I also wanted to make sure to just share what I would consider some festival pro tips, if you will, um, for people who might not have been to an event like this uh, much, if at all, over these past two and a half years, but making sure that people can enjoy it uh, without too much of the downside that can come with unlimited pours from so many <laughs> exceptional breweries. Yeah. I think it starts beforehand. I'll just say that it helps from personal experience to show up with pretty close to a full stomach. And that includes plenty of water and a healthy meal for anything that's going to be outside, um, which I think will probably apply to at least parts of Friends Fest. Sunscreen yeah. and a hat can go a long way to, to make sure you're protected in that sense. And also scheduling a ride home ahead of time. Um, you know, you don't want to wait until you're, you know, 20 tasters in to start figuring that out. Fortunately, Friends Fest offering designated driver tickets as well for a reduced price point of $25. And uh, I can thank my wife, who I refer to often on this show as Mrs. Props and Hops, for uh, taking care of that ride home. We've got her designated nice. driver ticket secured. So uh, just some basics to, you know, plan ahead of time. And then during the event, pacing yourself, I, you know, I can't encourage that enough. I was visiting one of my best friends up in Bend, Oregon this past weekend, and we stopped by Deschutes, a huge brewery up there. And they had a sign that I really liked behind their bar, and it said, love it or dump it. You know, there's nothing wrong, even though these taster pours aren't very big in and of themselves, probably a lot of three to five ounce tasters people will get. If you take a couple sips, you know, it, it sucks to be wasteful, and I don't want people to just overdo it to that end. But you don't have to, you know, force yourself to guzzle down everything that's put into a taster glass. So at a lot of these festivals, tasting and dumping is perfectly acceptable. And also make sure to still drink plenty of water, get plenty of food. Um, and there's the notion, a, a lot of walks of life, first one in, last one out. I would suggest kind of forgetting that in this case. I mean, especially going to the VIP hour, uh, you know, like I'll be doing, I'll probably be among the first out if it's after 3.30 or 4. Um, you know, people might not catch me there. And it's just, you know, a few hours of this uh, can go a really long way and it's going to be awesome. But just want people to make sure they're pacing themselves and afterward, back to square one, probably rehydrating plenty of water and a healthy meal. Um, Kevin, when it comes to your experience, not just organizing the events, but for people attending, anything else to add when it comes to making the most of the whole experience before, during, and after? Yeah, I think you hit a lot of really good points. Um, I think, obviously, ride sharing, planning a ride, or getting an Uber is the most important thing. Don't drive drunk or buzzed even, <laughs> please. Um, and water, drink lots of water. We'll have lots of water on hand for people. Um, the weather's going to be really nice, I think, this weekend. It's been like mid-90s here the last couple of days, but I think it's going to be like 80 degrees out on Saturday, Beautiful. which will be great. Um, there will be some shaded areas, and there will be lots of sun. So, yeah. But I think you hit all the great points. All right. We'll hope everybody can plan accordingly. And Kevin, as we look at LA Beer Week beyond Friends Fest, uh, and for more information, people can follow the LA Brewers Guild on Instagram at LA Brewers. Are there any events beyond your radar? I know it's such a big undertaking just to get this kickoff event to hopefully run without a hitch. But beyond that, again, two full weekends of it, plus a few events during the week. Anything else that you'll be looking to experience as part of this year's LA Beer Week? Man, I haven't seen uh, the full list, unfortunately, but I'll definitely be out and around town during the during the week. We might have a second surprise little gathering on the second weekend, so stay tuned on our Instagram for that. Um, but yeah, there are lots of really good events, so check out the list and support your local breweries. 
Nice. I'll have to see if I can be two places at once next weekend, perhaps, because I know, uh, you know, frequent listeners to this show, it's no surprise. I talk about it regularly. Green Cheek Beer Company in Orange, California, nice. my favorite brewery. They're celebrating their fifth anniversary on the 25th and 26th of June. Um, I believe it's a two-day celebration. I, I know I'm planning to be there on the 25th, but maybe I'll have to see if I can get a little two-team parlay between Green Cheek and Celador in the fold for next weekend. It's awesome. Already having something to yeah. look forward to beyond Friends Fest. I know that's going to be such a highlight in and of itself. And I, I feel like we'd be remiss perhaps not to touch on the other end of the spectrum. I, I know it was a low light for a lot of beer fans in this area, hearing recently that Celador will be closing its doors at the end of this year. And in the announcement you wrote, um, I, I know you said that 2022 has unexpectedly been the toughest year since the pandemic started. And I'm wondering if there are any factors you've caught on to that might be reasoning behind 2022 being such a tough year when a lot of people might think we're coming out the other end. Um, not necessarily the case across the board here. Yeah, it's a little bit um, unknown to me. I like, But what I know is that in the beginning of the year when we started considering our options, there are like, you know, a lot of different reasons why we're or phasing out, but um, a lot of breweries were starting to close and you didn't really see it that much in 2020 and 2021. But um, I felt like every couple of weeks I was getting an email that someone was either looking to sell or, or closing down. And um, it's a super bummer, you know, like a lot of these, most breweries are really small businesses that are run by people who are just really passionate about what they do, you know? And so I think, um, we all do our best to hang on as long as we can. And at some point, um, you can only do so much for us. You know, it's like definitely a very difficult decision made for a lot of different factors, but we, yeah, it's, it's, it's super complicated. Um, we, Mostly it's our lease that's an issue. We like have an issue with our, our landlord. Someone bought the building after we signed our lease. And so we weren't going to be able to renew here. So actually for the last like year and a half, almost two years, we've been looking for new spaces and trying to find something. Um, and it didn't really work out. And so we came up with a different plan and we're going to be open for another six or seven months through the end of the year. And we hope that, you know, we can share beer with everyone during that time and kind of honor what it was and the supports that everyone showed us over the years and, you know, go out with a little bit of style, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like this weekend is going to be a great way to really ratchet that up. And you touched on still being open for about, you know, another six or seven months. Was there anything specific about the rationale to announce this when you did? I know a lot of breweries, when they close, it's, you know, it's just a matter of days or sometimes it's already happened. So people can't really say goodbye the way they might like to. Yeah. I think it's great that so many people in the L.A. beer community can really take a lot of time to, you know, give Celador the best send off possible. Um, but beyond that, anything behind the rationale in announcing this when you did? Yeah, it just... Uh... For a couple of reasons, you know, we came up with the plan and we wanted to like be ahead of it. You know, we don't want to like try and hide the fact that we're doing something that we're, that we're doing. And so 
or like have the word get out and um, make it seem like, yeah, like we're trying to hide something. On top of that, you know, different from other breweries, like our stuff is aged beer. And so even after it's in the bottle or the keg, it ages for a couple months at a time. And so we really have um, a lot of inventory to that we could, and a lot of really cool beers that we want to release still. Um, so I'm actually in our like storage warehouse and you can see, like we said, the rational behind is like literally behind me. Just like <laughs> we have a bunch of beer still to get through. Um, and we, we really, we're not making this decision out of desperation, which I think is the, unfortunately the situation for a lot of other breweries. And so we came up with a plan to, um, do it in a way that we think honors the hard work that we've put into it over the years. Well said. And I know it must have been so tough to write that announcement and, and make this decision. I hope it's been a silver lining. I feel like I've seen a lot of support coming your way in, in recent days. I believe it's maybe been, you know, maybe a week or two since the announcement came out. How would you describe from your point of view, the community's response to you breaking that news? Yeah, really, really supportive and sad. Um, but I think people understand that it's a tough business and a tough industry and that things change that you can't expect. Um, but yeah, lots of love from lots of people and that, it means a lot to me. And I think it's been well-deserved uh, over the course of several years that Celador has been operating at such a high level. And, and again, you touched on the community being supportive to this point. And people have through the end of the year, if you're listening to this and, you know, are, are wondering what you might be able to do if you're in the Southern California area, um, if possible this weekend, attending Friends Fest, a great way to start. This should be such a fun event on Saturday, uh, really anytime over the next several months, visiting the brewery in person or even buying Celador's beer and having it delivered. I understand that you guys ship throughout the state of California and for people in L.A. County, free delivery on orders of $75 mm. or more. Honestly, with gas prices these days, that's a pretty good deal if people don't live too <laughs> close to the brewery, but they're within yeah. L.A. County lines. I know I've had a delivery uh, made not too long ago, and it was a really seamless experience. So mm -hmm. that's a great option for locals to take advantage of. And then memberships still available at the Cellar Door tier, I believe. And people can learn more about that on your website, celladorales.com. Kevin, anything else to add in terms of, you know, just some nice ways that people can show Cellador some support between now and the end of the year? Yeah, I think you hit all of them. Those are the, really the things is just kind of like, come visit us. Um, we would love to see you, everybody, what, for one, you know, up at the tasting room. Um, our club that you mentioned that's available still is, it's basically like just for our tap room. So if you're local to the brewery, come in. It's $125 and you get a $125 gift card plus 10% off on all purchases for the rest of the year. So, um, yeah, whatever you can do, we appreciate and all, all the support that we've, that everyone has shown us over the years, like that means the world and, um, really grateful. One thing that I will say that I was grateful to see at the end of your announcement and I'll keep my fingers crossed a, a note. I don't know if it was at the end or at some point in the announcement, I, I, I read it several times to try to, you know, pull any silver linings I could out of it. Yeah. And you mentioned exploring options to keep Celador up and running in a new location. 
Um, any details you can share on that end or with this being, you know, in, in many ways, a, a sports betting podcast, maybe betting in a different sense, any, yeah. any breakdown you would care to share on, you know, gut feeling at this point, odds on what's next for you and Celador. Yeah, we'll see. It's sort of, it's very much up in the air still at this point. Um, I think in the spirit of our whole brand, like, we're looking to do it in a really unique way, possibly kind of maybe rent space from another brewery for a bit or um, open just kind of like a satellite tasting room. Um, but we're hoping that it can stay alive in some way and um, we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully. Got it. Yeah. Patience is a virtue. So I think in the meantime, just supporting as much as possible and then keeping fingers crossed for some good news uh, is what a lot of this audience can do, you know, locals in the LA beer community. And we will definitely weave in before we wrap up this conversation, two pillars of this show, um, you know, the Malinsky minute, I'll, I'll give you some context, Kevin, on what that yeah. is, uh, as well as uh, talking, you know, some more hops or, or not always hoppy beers, but, you know, more on the beer side of things, some beers that you might recommend for people. I do want to make sure to acknowledge that as we record this, yes, we're bringing hops to the forefront. Of course, we would do so with a guest like yourself. Um, but we're in the middle of the NBA finals. And, and I'll just go uh, on a, a bit of a monologue here about game six coming up tomorrow evening between the Celtics and Warriors. Consensus odds right now as we record this Wednesday, early afternoon Pacific time, Celtics laying four points, the game's total 210. And I'm actually going to be taking a short and sweet trip to Las Vegas to see another one of my best friends. And I'm planning to bet on the game, you know, in, in one of the best possible places to bet on and watch an NBA Finals game. And my thought here from a betting standpoint, a lot of listeners might be familiar with the Super Bowl money line phenomenon we tend to see every year, where any recreational bettors that want to bet on the team favored to win the Super Bowl will often just lay the points. And any bettors who want to back the team that's an underdog in the Super Bowl will take the money line. Essentially, instead of taking the points, they'll just pick the underdog to win the game outright in order to try to capture a bigger payout. And in the NBA playoffs, a trend we're seeing that ties in with this Super Bowl phenomenon, the point spread just really hasn't mattered throughout a lot of the playoffs. In fact, if we look at the finals, the first five games all decided by double digits. So the team that has covered each game has also won outright. And looking ahead to game six, that means a lot of people looking to bet on the Celtics will just lay the points, figuring if the Celtics cover, they're going to win the game. You know, uh, they're going to have to win to cover as the favorite, but with double digit margins of victory, Four points might seem inconsequential to somebody looking Boston's way. And for people looking to bet the Warriors, they're probably taking the money line because odds are if the Warriors cover that four-point spread, they probably will win the game. But overall, I think this trend of point spreads not mattering, a lot more noise than signal. I think that in sports, point spreads exist for a very valid reason. And for that reason, I think it's quite possible that the Celtics win this game and don't cover kind of like the Rams in the Super Bowl um, that, you know, snapped a string of games where people figured, you know, if the favorite wins, then, you know, they're going to have to cover. If the underdog wins, they'll cover as well. Well, the Rams favored by, you know, four, four and a half points, a lot of the build up to the Super Bowl. They won by three. So the money line came into play. And that's my way of getting to the angle of looking at the Celtics on the money line in game six tomorrow night. Currently seeing minus 170, which essentially implies you'd need to risk $170 to win 100. I am seeing Circus Sportsbook, where I am tentatively planning to place my bet uh, in downtown Las Vegas. 
they are hanging minus 160. So a little bit less of an upfront risk necessary, you know, to capture a positive return should the Celtics win tomorrow night. My plan, again, kind of like the Super Bowl, one more parallel to that point, waiting for money to pour in on the Warriors on the money line. We can pretty much bank on that coming over these next 24 hours and change. So looking to take the Celtics shortly before tip off at a price point of minus 160 or better on the money line. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, laying $160 to win 100 or, you know, something with that ratio seems pretty unattractive to a lot of betters. That's a pretty big risk to win less in return um, than you even had to put up front. But if we look at this from a probabilistic standpoint, going to nerd out on some math for just a moment here. When we look at a line of minus 160, which is the price at Circa for the Celtics to win this game tomorrow night, that implies a 61.5% break-even threshold, where if the Celtics win more than 61.5% of the time, this bet has value. Um, Four-point favorites in the NBA over the long run tend to win closer to 63% of the time. So that, that's a small edge. If the Celtics, you know, the point spread is implying they'll win this game 63% of the time, and, and we can bet at a probability slightly less than 63% needing to break even, that's a small edge. But realistically, big edges rarely exist when we're talking point spreads, totals, money lines, and the NBA finals. It's just such a marquee event, such an efficient betting market. So, you know, a small edge probably only warrants a small bet, but I'm going to trust the mathematical, mathematical value that I'm seeing here. Also, some nice entertainment value being in Vegas to watch the game and a little bit of bonus entertainment value for basketball fans. If the Celtics do win the game, that guarantees us a game seven. And there are few sporting events more fun to watch than game seven of an NBA finals. So looking at Celtics, minus 160 or better on the money line in game six. All right, going to pivot back to the beer side of things, bring you back into this conversation, Kevin, now that we've got the, uh, the props out of the way for the purposes of this conversation. And I, I always like to make what I dub the Malinsky Minute a pillar of this podcast when I have guests on. And that's a nod to the late, great sports betting legend, David Malinsky. I was fortunate to know him as a friend and a mentor. Um, and in not just betting, but really beyond betting in all walks of life, something that really stood out to me about Dave was that he always seemed to be on the ball, never seemed frazzled. And I think I might see a bit of a parallel um, when it comes to that angle and tying it to the slow process like you take to beer with Celador and a lot of other aspects. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit on your personal point of view on, you know, the slow approach versus always trying to go fast. It seems like these days attention spans are shrinking. Everybody is always in a hurry to do a million things. Um, but I, as I think about Dave and, and the approach that I understand that you and the team at Celador take to things, perhaps there's a lot more value in the adage of, you know, being quick, but not hurrying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's super, super important <laughs> to like the success of our society as a whole going forward that we slow down a little bit. Um, and, you know, that's not the reason why I do what I do necessarily. Um, but I do think that, you know, the world naturally corrects itself over time and everything's going to be okay no matter what. But, um, Whatever you can do to slow down your life is important. And I think that on top of that, the, the slowness is was important to the quality of our products. These this style of beer, if you rush it, it just sucks. <laughs> there are breweries that try and do it and you can taste it from a mile away. Um, and to me, this was an art 
project more than a business throughout the years. And like I was putting myself out there through these beers and like the quality of the beers and the process really mattered to me every day. And that transitions us perfectly to the final pillar of the show that I wanted to weave in the hops, but it doesn't have to apply just to hop your beer. Uh, when it comes to what you make at Celador, what would you say is the beer that you make that perhaps best embodies the brewery overall? Hmm. I would probably say we make a beer called the Carrot King. And it's fun because it's a produce that's not normal carrots and beer. It's also fun because it's a farm that's really special. It's Wiser Family Farms. And if you go to like the best farmers markets or even a lot of the best restaurants around LA, they'll like they'll call out Wiser Family Farms on their menus because it's such a it's such a special farm into hat they're into Hatchapi, kind of like an hour and a half from LA. Um, and on top of that, the process is something that I think as far as I know, we, we sort of pioneered. Like we took the carrots, we juice them down into a juice ourselves uh, in our warehouse. And instead of adding, all our beers are bottle conditioned. So like we add sugar, in our case, honey to the bottle and then it re-ferments in the bottle and that's what creates the carbonation. With the Carrot King, we add the carrot juice directly to the bottle and the residual sugar in the carrot juice is what carbonates the beer. And so actually the carrot juice settles out a little bit. If you ha If you have a bottle and you look at it, like all the juices like in the last in the bottom like into the bottle so you have to like rotate it to get the juice back into suspension and what you get is just like kind of beautiful bright orange carrot beer um and it's like I'm, i've always been surprised over the years how much people actually appreciate it too it's a really it's not just a gimmick it's a really flavorful beer what gave you the initial idea to try it? It sounds so ambitious, and I'm glad that it's been well-received. And, and I remember the first time I heard about this beer, I just thought it had to be a gimmick or it couldn't possibly be so good. Yeah. But what gave you the idea that you really could pull that off? When I was homebrewing, even since I've been homebrewing, we always use honey as the bottle finishing sugar, whereas like pretty much every brewery in the world is using uh, dextrose, just like kind of white cane sugar. Um, and, you know, it just got me thinking of other fermentable sugars that are natural that you could use. And so I think before we did the Carrot King, we messed around with um, some other fruit juices. And then we did, we've done, we've done a beer with uh, beet juice also called Petaloom, which I think we still have in the brewery if you want to try it. Um, and I don't know, the idea just popped into my head one day and uh, I'm just crazy enough to like try. It's one of the only beers to Carrot King that we actually did like tests with. Like for the most part, I'm kind of like, you know, we'll do a barrel of anything. We'll try, we'll try it. We do like a smoked squash beer. We didn't test it. We just kind of did a full batch of it. And the Carrot King was such a unique thing that we kind of did like spend some time doing tests and, and making sure it was going to actually work. And not explode or have like a weird brown color because it oxidized over time. Um, but it's definitely been fun to do. And actually we, we did, we're, we're going to release it again this year before we close. All right. Glad there's one more batch to look forward to for everybody. I mean, carrots and uh, squash. And I think you also mentioned beets. There's a lot of creativity going into yeah. this. And uh, I love the outside the box thinking stuff that people are going to be hard pressed to find anywhere else. 
But for the audience whose options might be anywhere else outside of Celador, perhaps people listening outside of California, I'm wondering if you could name one accessible non-Celador beer that best captures the essence of something you think Celador would make. Yeah. Um, hmm. I think that they're probably accessible in a lot of places now. I think Jester King is, is a really amazing brewery um, from Texas. They make a really similar styles to us. Um, and we're definitely an inspiration for me getting started. Um, and, you know, I'm wearing a Finback shirt. I think Finback is really amazing for clean beers, hoppy stuff, and lagers. Um, Beachwood is probably my favorite California brewery that does hoppy and sour beers. Actually, I think they're probably the best brewery for both in the country. <laughs> like really world-class beers. Yeah. And Beachwood makes uh, a lot of stuff that sees distribution. So whether it's uh, Beachwood on the, the hoppy or, you know, the, the fresh side and then Beachwood blendery, a, a lot of the more yeah. sour beer. Um, Jester King, you mentioned they're based in the outskirts of Austin, Texas, but I've started to see definitely more distribution on their end as well. Um, and then Finback yeah. in New York. Um, and, and I'm not sure how big their distribution footprint is, but between, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of a West coast, a middle of the country and an East coast brewery, yeah. I think you've covered the bases pretty well on that nice. front. So I want to make sure to plug your work before we sign off here. Uh, people can find Celador on Instagram at Celador underscore ales. Again, Friends Fest coming up this Saturday, June 18th. Get your tickets at friendsfest2022.eventbrite.com. You can find a link to that page in the show notes. Kevin, anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Yeah, I appreciate the time. And I'll, I'll wrap up with a quick thank you to everybody for watching and listening. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take just a few seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you're catching this in podcast form, feel free to tune in live on Twitter or YouTube. That gets you a front-of-the-line pass to the great insights these guests are sharing the moment that they share them. We can also add your thoughts or questions to any conversations if you care to chime in at any point. To tune in live, you can follow me on Twitter at mlandis18 or follow the show on YouTube via the link in the show notes. Kevin, once again, thank you for your time and insight and also for the extraordinary experiences that you've created and continue to create through Celador's world-class beer. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. hope to see you all Saturday or at some point throughout the year. Props and hops and props and hops and props and